So let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life you have given us uh, through the finished work of Jesus. Uh, thank you for Doug's reminder this morning that not only is your work of salvation finished, but your ongoing work in our lives um, continues, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, we love you. pray uh, that your spirit would be here and teach us your word, please. And Father, uh, the helicopter crash that's in the news, um, where whatever so-called famous people may have been killed, there were nine lives lost uh, today. And I pray for those families. I pray that they would, um, that if they don't know you and follow you, that this tragic event would turn them in your direction. And if they do know you and follow you, that they would have a peace of mind and peace for their soul. I pray that you would comfort them. Very great, uh, be their very great comforter in this time. Uh, I don't know them. I don't know who they are. I just, I pray because they've lost uh, loved ones today. So we remember them and we pray for them this evening too. Thank you for that, uh, and thank you for being our great God who cares for us. And we love you, and we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, First Kings. Um, how many, you, you ever play croquet? Anyone ever play croquet? You know, you've, you hit the wooden ball through the wickets. Well, I used to play with my brothers. I have two brothers, I'm the oldest, and then I've got one, two more brothers. Uh, and we used to go out and play croquet like crazy. Uh, I, I would be lying to say there wasn't some cheating going on during, during those games. But we had a, we had a deal where uh, everyone per game got one do-over. Right? So during the game, uh, at any time, you know, if you, whatever, for whatever reason, you could pull out your do-over card and you could have a do-over in the croquet game. I, I love that idea of do-overs. I don't know about your life. Uh, I've got a lot of things I would like to have do-overs. Um, and do-overs for me always remind me that I need change. I, I need to be changed. And when I think about do-overs, I think about, particularly about Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And I'm reminded of our need for do-overs, of a change of season. And here we are in January of 2020. And they say by this time in January, can you believe this? What is today? 26th. Yeah. Well, I might be a couple days ahead. But anyway, you're going to get the point. By the end of January, no one has any New Year's resolution still standing. <laughs> one month, they're all gone. You know, whatever I was going to do... <laughs> It's gone, but I, I'm reminded in January particularly of it's a season 
for change. It's a season for do-overs. It's a season for new starts. Tonight, Solomon is going to choose to make some changes to the kingdom in areas David wasn't willing or able to make. Areas where David had tolerated the way things were much too long. You see this in his final instructions to Solomon. Things David never took care of that he should have taken care of that he passes off to Solomon. Tonight we're going to look at those things that he hands off to Solomon that he chose for whatever reason he was unwilling to do them or he was unable to do them. He left them, they they passed their expiration and they had to be dealt with, but David didn't do it. And so Solomon winds up having to take care of David's dirty laundry. That's what Solomon is going to do tonight. First Kings is about division. And we're going to see division coming uh, as we move through Kings. Remember Samuel, First and Second Samuel was about the monarchy. This First and Second Kings are about division. First Kings 2.13 is where we're going to start for tonight. Uh, this is where we left off last time, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 4. One day, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, came to see Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intentions, she asked him. Yes, he said, I come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask of you. What is it, she asked. He replied, as you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) What? Who who has not gotten what's happened here recently? (laughs) Adonijah has not. He's failed to process who God's choice is. All Israel wanted me to be the next king. But the tables were turned. And the kingdom went to my brother instead. For that is the way the Lord wanted it. This guy, he's like a snake. So now I have just one favor to ask of you. Please don't turn me down. What is it, she asked. He replied, speak to King Solomon on my behalf, for I know he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishag. The girl from Shunem, remember the girl who was medicinally connected to David. All right, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother and she sat at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother, he asked. You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Adonijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem, she replied. I don't know, you know, like in the old cartoons where smoke comes out of people's ears and stuff. You know, and you hear horns blowing. This is what I imagine is happening to Solomon. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishag to Adonijah? King Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he's my older brother and that he has Abiathar the priest and Joab son of Zeruiah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow before the Lord. May God strike me and even kill me if Adonijah has not sealed his fate with this request. The Lord has confirmed me and placed me on the throne of my father David. He has established my dynasty as he promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Adonijah will die this very day. So King Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him, and Adonijah was put to death. Whoa. Following David's death, Solomon, approximately age 20. Let that sink in for a second. Age 
20 has been appointed and anointed king of Israel. David was a soldier. Solomon is a scholar. David made war. Solomon will make peace. The kingdom has been boiling for years because of Absalom and Adonijah's treachery. And remember, David had never done, lifted one finger to discipline either one of them. Remember what it says, not even saying to them, why are you doing this? It's been, the kingdom has been boiling because of these two boys for years. It's God's timing for new leadership. It's God's timing for a fresh start. Tonight, we're going to talk about time for a new start. And it starts with a bang. First thing Solomon does, Adonijah is executed. So many commentators have written on this. There are basically two ways you can go when you say, well, why did Bathsheba do that? So most of the commentators lean over to say, well, and by the way, I don't agree with this point. I agree with this path. So I'm going to kind of make a little, I'm not going to make fun of it. I'm, I'm going to suggest there's a better way to take this. They suggest that Bathsheba was just easily deceived and she was playing matchmaker and she got caught up in it and wanted to see handsome Adonijah married to beautiful Abishag. I don't think so. I think that's a little too, that's taken a much too stereotypical role for Bathsheba. I actually think Bathsheba was very wise. What is, what is Bathsheba doing? She knows who Abishag was. She knows she's part or was part of David's harem. And everyone in the harem, though it would be small, is cut in for some of the inheritance. Remember when kings get deposed? Remember when Absalom chases David out of town? What does he do? He goes and he takes the harem. Because that establishes his right of inheritance. By Adonijah asking for Abishag, he's saying... Cut me in for the piece, a piece of the inheritance. And that's why Solomon says, no, wait a minute. This is my older brother. He's already got two guys who've been on his side. Now he's going after the harem and an inheritance? This guy wants the throne. What does Solomon not do? Mother, you fool. How daft could you be? What has Bathsheba done? She's found out a plot. She's figured it out. And she says, Adonijah, I'd love to take that message to Solomon. <laughs> Solomon, would you not deny me this one thing? Knowing full well Solomon is going to see right through it. He doesn't get upset with Bathsheba. He's like, thank you, mother. Take care of Adonijah. She's just brought in the news. I think in this case, Bathsheba is really a, a good guy. She's figured it out, and she is helping Adonijah, uh, helping Solomon secure the throne against Adonijah. I think, we've, I think some people have not given Bathsheba enough credit here. I think she's actually very clever in what she's done. Of course, Adonijah. Of course. Tell me. Tell me everything. I'd love to see nothing more than the two of you hooked together. Right? Oh, my gosh. I think she's, anyway, I think she's a good woman in this. She's done a good thing. Okay. Wow. What happens? Well, Adonijah seals his fate with this request. He's still trying to take the throne. He is a usurper. He is trying to take what is not his. He already played his hand with Bathsheba. Bathsheba goes and, let me play your hand for you. 
Solomon says, I call. And he takes care of Adonijah, which David, maybe he shouldn't have killed him, but David should have done something about Adonijah years ago, but he didn't do it. Maybe he was unwilling, maybe he was unable, but he didn't do it. Then the king said to Abiathar the priest, verse 26. So Adonijah has been put to death. He says to Abiathar, go back to your home in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not kill you now because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord for David my father and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed Abiathar from his position as a priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. What does Solomon do with Abiathar? Deposes him and exiles him because he is a traitor. Solomon takes care of some more dirty laundry. Joab, verse 28, our buddy Joab. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaiah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, The king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, No, I will die here. There was a place in the law where a... Um, someone who was accused of murder or manslaughter could run and find at least time, if they would cling to the altar. Not so. This is cold-blooded murder that Joab has done. There's no protection for him whatsoever, but he's hoping that something good's going to happen here. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaiah went to sacred tent and said, Come out. Joab said, No, I will die here. So Benaiah returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. Do as he said, the king replied. Kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of two men who are more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and of Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever, and may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. Joab is executed because he is a murderer. Solomon has take care, taken care of a usurper, a traitor, a murderer, and we continue. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, returns. He, he kills him and he buries him in the wilderness. And the king appoints Benaiah to take his place. And then he installs Zadok, the priest, to take the place of Abiathar. The king then sent for Shimei and told him, Build a house here in Jerusalem and live there. But don't step outside the city to go anywhere else. On the day you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, which when you go to Jerusalem, you'll walk right out of the city, and there's a, there's a valley. I mean, this is, in those days, okay, maybe it was 200 yards away. It's not very far. So he says, on the day that you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die, and your blood will be on your own head. Shimei replied, your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for a long time. Well, three years. Three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to King Akish, son of Maaka of Gath. When Shimei learned where they were, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shimei had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shimei and demanded, I mean, can you imagine this? Hey, Shimei, come here. The king wants to see you. Welcome back. Glad you got those slaves back. <laughs> King wants to see you. Three years. We're good. King and I have an understanding. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else or you would surely die? And you replied, the sentence is fair. I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king also said to Shimei, you certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord now bring that evil on your own head. But may I, King Solomon, receive the Lord's blessings, and may one of David's descendants always sit on this throne in the presence of the Lord. Then to the king's command, Benaiah took Shimei outside and killed him. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. Adonijah, a usurper, is executed. Abiathar is deposed and exiled as a traitor. Joab the murderer is executed, and Shimei is executed as a rebel. What David had chosen to tolerate, Solomon didn't. He acted swiftly and decisively to remove the trouble from the kingdom. He purged the kingdom of a usurper, a traitor, a murderer, and a rebel. David's unfinished business is finished by Solomon. You know, one of the things that, uh, that David and Solomon illustrate, in my mind, is uh, David, at this point, was more concerned to keep the peace than to make peace. You understand the difference? There's a difference between keeping the peace and making peace. I won't make any applications for us today. Ooh. Keeping the peace versus making peace. You can look up the James chapter 3 reference there. Uh, it'll give you pieces based on righteousness. Keeping peace is based on feelings. Making peace is based on facts. Keeping peace honors others over God. Making peace honors God over others. Keeping peace gives others what they ask for. Was that David? Never one time did he lift his finger, not even his voice to these boys to say, what are you doing? Making peace gives others what they need. Keeping peace sidesteps the truth. Making peace speaks the truth in love. Keeping peace trusts its own schemes. Making peace means trusts God's word and ways. Keeping peace seems to work. Making peace is sure to work. But keeping peace may be, relatively speaking, less costly, whereas making peace may be, relatively speaking, more costly. Making peace with enemies means dealing severely with pretend kings, traitors, murderers, and rebels to make peace, not to keep peace, to make peace, means dealing severely with pretend kings, traitors, murderers, and rebels. It means either exiling them or executing them. Making peace with enemies means showing them no mercy no longer making allowance for them. David was, in my opinion, keeping peace. He didn't finish his dirty laundry. Solomon is making peace. And it requires much more decisive, much more invasive action than keeping the peace. Just by way of application, I can't help it. 
I don't, no hands, <laughs> no grimaces. <laughs> Think about the last person you knew you needed to make peace with, but instead you kept the peace. Someone who might have needed to hear the truth in love, but you, for some reason, backed up from it. And maybe you sidestepped it, maybe you didn't address it, maybe this, maybe, but you just, you danced. You know what I'm talking about? No, none of you do? Okay, well, I'm a sinner, I do this. And a lot of it is because of people-pleasing. Now, none of you are guilty of that, but look at me and say, thank you, Lord, for not making me like Bill. <laughs> when you desire to please people or whatever, your default is going to be keeping peace. God is looking for all of us, as he was looking for David, I think, but he's, he shows us in Solomon what it means to make peace. Make peace. Making peace is hard. Hard. It takes courage to speak the truth and love to people. Because guess what? They might not like what you have to say. Keeping peace versus making peace. That was for free. We're talking about Solomon. We're not talking about us. We're talking about Solomon, and we're talking about David. Chapter 3, following the Lord. So Solomon has purged the kingdom. It's now firmly in his grip or in his grasp. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. Now, it's not bad yet. It gets bad. He's still walking with the Lord right now. The good news is Solomon isn't perfect. That encourages me. Solomon makes an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship. High places, for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. The, this wife thing and this chariot and horse thing and this high places thing dogs Solomon and dogs every, almost every king between now and when they, the Lord finally deports both of them, Israel and Judah. It, it, it's right here, you should be going... Oh, no. This is foreshadowing. This is bad, what's happening right here. But it's not, it's not over the cliff yet. But it's going to go over the cliff. Okay, at that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honoring the name of the Lord, because a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Okay, so what's the explanation for why people are going to the high places? Because there's no temple. We need a temple builder. We have Solomon. Yay. No, really. Yay. That's good. Solomon's going to come along and, and build the temple, and people are going to worship there. So Solomon's going to do a great thing. Solomon loved the Lord. He did, and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. That would be a lot. Just by the way, a thousand. So imagine the sanctuary. The lower floor seats about 900. So imagine every cushion has a, a lamb sitting on it. I know. That's what it was. And 100 seats up in the balcony. <laughs> That's what he goes through in one display of worship and affection for the Lord. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father David. 
because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, instead of my father David. But I am a little, like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. First nine verses, Solomon has one request, an understanding heart. In Hebrew, the word understanding is translated from the word hearing. What Solomon asked for is a hearing heart. A hearing heart that he would hear from the Lord. A hearing heart. We think of understanding as sort of an intellectual thing. This was a, he's asking God, God, give me a hearing heart. Remind you of a sermon today? By the way, this stuff is not planned. We don't program the adult ed, and I wish we kind of did. I'm like, whoa, Lord, that's pretty cool. (laughs) A hearing heart. That's what Solomon asks for. The Lord says, I'm so pleased with what you've asked for, I'm going to give you that, and I'm going to give you stuff you didn't ask for. Remember, God gives his best to those who want what he wants for them, and more besides. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. Same principle. Same God, just different testaments. God gives his best to those who want what he wants for them and more besides. Solomon has asked for a hearing heart so that he could be a wise and just ruler and leader of God's people. He didn't put himself first. He put God's people first. The Lord is pleased with that. Solomon's reply to the Lord's response is he worships God for his grace and generosity and he bows the knee afresh to the Lord. It's a great picture. The people are in awe of Solomon in 16 through 28. We're now given um, an example of his wisdom. Remember the two prostitutes who come in, one live baby between them, and finally they, you know, they're fighting back and forth, and Solomon says, bring me a sword. And the baby's true mother said, no, 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 give it, you know, I'll give him away so he lives. And he says, there's the true mother. Give the baby to her. That's the mother, because the mother wants life for the child. And so when all Israel heard the king's decision, verse 28, The people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Solomon has purged the kingdom. He's following the Lord. 
In chapter 4, King Solomon now ruled over all Israel, and these were his high officials, and so they list the cabinet members there. And you might want to read through those. I know you. you. You skipped over all those names, but those will be on the final. But it'll be a pronunciation test. You know, it'll be a verbal test, not a written test. Solomon also had 12 district governors who were over all Israel. They were responsible for providing food for the king's household. Each of them arranged provisions for one month of the year. And here come their names. And if you had a chance to read those names, you saw two of them are married to two of Solomon's daughters. The people of Judah were as numerous as sand on the seashore. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates in the north, the land of the Philistines, and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered peoples of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. And then we see their diet. There's a lot of food there. Uh, Solomon's dominion, again, is we're told how far it extends. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his chariot horses. And he had 12,000 horses. Uh, the district governors faithfully provided food for King Solomon and his court. Each made sure nothing was lacking during the month assigned to him. They also brought the necessary barley and straw for the royal horses in the stables. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite. Whew, you're in tall cotton right now. I mean, you're, you're with Ethan the Ezraite and the sons of Mahal, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs. 3,000. We have about 600. Five times as many proverbs as we have, he wrote. And 1,005 songs. How many songs do we have? One. Song of Solomon. We only have one of the 1,005 songs he wrote. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. We're given examples. He prayed for a hearing heart, for wisdom to rule with justice, and God begins to pour out on him this wisdom. And so we're given these examples of his, just some of his wisdom. What does Solomon do in chapter 4? He's, the kingdom is now firmly in his grip. He's purged it of his enemies. He's following the Lord. And so now he starts serving the people. Wisdom, Solomon's wisdom, delegates to others who are qualified. That's what wisdom does. It finds qualified people and it delegates things to them. The 12 districts, you have a map. I think Larry included a map for you of the 12 districts. So each of those had sort of like a, a governor and the governor was then responsible for collecting all of the food and supplies for a particular month and bringing them to Jerusalem. The result, the result of Solomon's advisors and serving the people in this way, this way no one is carrying too much, no one is carrying too little. What do they have? Peace and security, prosperity and fame. Solomon. Solomon purged the kingdom of pretend kings, traitors, murderers, and rebels. 
He removed division and brought peace. Solomon asked God for wisdom that he might both lead and follow well. His greatest ask of God was to hear him well. And Solomon served the people with wisdom through his organization by distributing the things that needed to be done to qualified people. There was a new start in the kingdom. A new start. Because Solomon purged the kingdom, he followed God, and he started serving the people rather than having the people serve him. I know they provided food, I know that, but he let them start serving through these 12 districts. How about you? It's almost the end of January, a time when all the rest of your New Year's resolutions are already on the highways and byways. They're in the ditches. You're looking for a New Year's resolution. Is it time for a new start? Is it time for a new start in 2020? It's going to mean removing the rebels from within the kingdom of your heart. It's going to mean following God at a deeper level. And it's going to mean serving God's people. An undivided heart. Is your heart divided? Before you answer, it's 2020, and I haven't pulled out the awful book yet. Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. I hate this book. I hate this book so much. Let's just open here. Hmm. Uh, one of his, um, he calls them, for those of you, if you're new with us tonight, he calls these respectable. We would certainly say murder is not a respectable sin, right? Uh, thievery. That's not a respectable sin. Well, he goes through other sins from the Old and New Testament, and he says, why don't we ever talk about these? As we have our hit parade of the top five, but then we never talk about these down here. How can we never talk about these? Because most of us say, oh, praise the Lord, I haven't done this bad one, and I haven't done this bad one. Whoa, I must be pretty good. I'm probably like 98% of the way there. I just need Jesus to get me the last 2%. This book will renew your perspective. Uh, this chapter is on anxiety and frustration. Um, let's see. Oh, oh. So he says, some years ago I surveyed the entire New Testament looking for instances where various Christian character traits were taught by precept or by example. I found 27. It may not surprise you that love was taught most often, some 50 times. It may surprise you that humility was a close second with 40 instances. But what really surprised me is that trust in God in all our circumstances was third, being taught 13 or more times. The opposite of trust in God is either anxiety or frustration. Would you, you want me to read that more slowly? <laughs> the opposite of trust in God is either anxiety or frustration. <laughs> Anyone? No, no, no hands. No hands. Anyone experienced anxiety or frustration this past week? If you have, it is the opposite of trust in God. 
And Jesus has a lot to say about anxiety. He walks through where Jesus says, why are you anxious for this and that and the other thing? Don't, you know, that Matthew 6.33 kind of thing. And here's his conclusion. In other words, when Jesus says, don't be anxious. In other words, it is the moral will of God that we not be anxious. Or to say it more explicitly, anxiety is sin. Anxiety is a sin for two reasons. First, as I've already mentioned, anxiety is a distrust of God. Anxiety is a sin also because it is a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. If God is sovereign and he's sovereign over everything, then the circumstances you find yourself in are not a surprise to God. He didn't take a nap and wake up and go, oh my goodness, look at where Bill is. Look at what he's done to himself. No. He who never slumbers or sleeps is absolutely sovereign and has brought me to these circumstances. Some by my own choices, I'm in these circumstances. Some by his design, I am in these circumstances. What do I do if I now start shaking my fist at God? I don't accept his rule over me. Lord, you're only allowed to treat me well. And in all these things, I mistrust or distrust God's plan, God's character. And so anxiety and frustration are bigger things than sometimes we make them. Does that make sense, what he's doing in here? I know I'm encouraging you to get this book. Yeah, yeah, yes, Bill, I can't wait to read that book. It is a great book that you will hate. You should have it. Uh, Jerry is with the Lord. I don't get any money off of selling the, off of encouraging you to buy these books. This is a great book. I would encourage you to read it. Let me just flip to another one. How about this one? Mm, just open at random. Discontentment. Um... Uh, in addition to the really painful circumstances of life, the cause of our discontentment may even be trivial at times. Whatever situation tempts us to be discontent, and however severe it may be, we need to recognize that discontentment is sin. When we fail to recognize these responses to our circumstances as sin, we are responding no differently from unbelievers who never factor God into their situations. Oh, look at the time. I can't read anymore. But you get the idea. Blessedly, get the idea. Get the book. Read the book. If you're saying, gosh, 2020, I don't know what to do or how to grow or what, get the book. <laughs> it is a year's worth of study to get, through, to, to get through this book the first time. It will take you the rest of this year. Let me ask you again. Is your heart divided? Are you keeping peace with anxiety? or discontentment, or are you making peace? Who are the enemies and traitors that need to be purged from man's soul, from your heart? What will you do specifically in order to exile or execute them through the Spirit's power? Making peace, keeping peace. You're keeping peace and so am I, when I tolerate it. I know I have worry and anxiety, but it's not as bad as that person's. So I'm good. I'll get around to it. I'll take care of it later on. 
what am I doing? I'm tolerating it. And I'm saying I would rather just keep peace with this traitor, this rebel, this enemy in my heart. I'd just rather keep peace. I don't want to make peace because to make peace, I have to execute them or exile them out of my heart. And like Doug said, talked about initiative. Is that where you want to go? Are you ready for this? Who are the enemies and traitors that need to be purged from man's soul? And you say, I don't want to read respectable sins. Okay. Um, One of the things the Lord is, is true and truthful. How about you? Are you true and truthful all the time? Honest, in speech, in action, in exaggeration. I don't know. Who are the enemies and traitors that need to be purged? And what will you do specifically to call on the Lord to either execute this enemy or exile it from your heart? Or are you still content to coddle these rebels and traitors who can never be reformed? Never. You need a new start? A new day. A new start. An undivided heart. If you didn't get a chance to hear Doug's message today, I would encourage you to get a copy of it and listen to it in light of this message. How receptive is your heart to a new start? Or are you saying, Bill, thanks for that, I'm good. A new day, a new start, an undivided heart. Second thing we're going to need, besides an undivided heart, is a hearing heart. So think about your prayer time. What's more important, a list or a relationship? How do you approach God in prayer? Do you approach him with humility based on his promises and or his character? Do you ask him for what you know he wants to give you? James 1.5, what does God want to give me? Do you ask God for wisdom? Psalm 119, a great psalm. Uh, I prayed this, and I know Larry did too, uh, for our boys while they were growing up. I don't pray it for them as much as I used to, but especially when they were in school age. 119, 33. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. What does hearing go with in the Bible? Obeying. Hearing and obeying go together. If I'm not obeying, I haven't heard. Because if I've heard, I should obey. This is God speaking, right? When God speaks, he expects people to obey. Has he spoken? Yes. What are we to do? When he speaks, if I hear it, what am I to do? I'm to obey it. Okay. Ah, That was for free too. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life. 
with your goodness. Are there things in those verses that God wants to give us? Yes. Do you pray for things that God already wants to give you? What happens if you ask him for those things? Remember the Lord's Prayer? Which is not really maybe the Lord's Prayer, but the disciples' prayer? <laughs> Remember that one? No? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our... And? Ooh, that's a scary one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Lord, don't forgive me like I forgive other people. <laughs> what else? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Do, are these some of the things that enter into your prayers from time to time? These are things God says, ask me and I will give you these things. And if you seek my kingdom first, I'll give you other stuff too. But do you want these things most and first? Do you ask him for what you know he wants to give you? Do you come only to speak or also to listen? A new day. A new start. A hearing heart. Who are you serving right now? This is a heart question. Who are you serving right now? Yourself or others? God raised up governors to serve alongside of Solomon and serve the people. He equipped them for what he called them to do. God has equipped you for what he has called you to do. If you don't know what that might mean or look like, we have a shape class. Spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. It's a great thing. Five little pieces of pie. You can learn something about yourself and begin to get a sense for, I think the Lord is leading me in this direction. And whatever it is that he's called you to do, he'll equip you to do. Who will you serve in 2020? There's website. There's opportunities on our website. Specifically, what will your next steps look like? Do you recall Cody's message from last week? Remember he said, if you thought it was good, don't tell him. He just wanted to hear what you'd done with it, how you'd put it into practice. Remember he asked us three questions. Who will you serve? How will you serve them? And when? Not only when will you get going on it, but when will you serve them? He Ask us to be very, very concrete and specific. Same thing here. A new day, a new start, a servant's heart. All of these things are to become more like Jesus. As Doug talked about this morning, to become more Christ-like. Do you need an undivided heart as Jesus had? Do you need a hearing heart as Jesus had? Do you need a servant's heart as Jesus had? What's the answer? Then go to Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. A new day, a new start, an undivided heart, a following, hearing heart, and a servant's heart. Today, could be a new day, and you could start a fresh walk with the Lord today. For next time, which is after Super Bowl, for next time, read Song of Solomon. It's a few chapters. You might want to get started. 
Read Song of Solomon. We'll go through that. It will be PG, if any of you are concerned. It will be PG, uh, but next time we will go through Song of Solomon, a, a wonderful book written by Solomon. Let me pray for us for this evening. Father, thank you for your word. Your word and your spirit challenge us, and thank you for doing that. Uh, sometimes I know I, I get, uh, I have five things that I need to do, and I don't know how to prioritize which of the five to start with. Uh, remind me, please, uh, to ask you, uh, where would you want me to start? Which one would you want me to prioritize? Uh, would you give me ears to hear when you speak so that I can... Uh, bring you the thing you want to work on first and most in me, because I know I need to be changed. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your unfailing love and wonderful mercy. We pray that you would um, put in our minds, what is that one thing? that you want us to begin coming to you about, that you and your spirit would begin changing in us this year so that when we look back in 2021 on 2020, we would see this weekend as that place, that starting line, where we started a fresh new journey with you. Whether we've been walking with you for one day, one month, or 60 years, that this would be a fresh start with you. We long for that and we look forward to it this year in faith. And we ask for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.